Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Confidence. Confidence is the word that we're focusing on in today's podcast. This is uh, Don. I guess I should start. Hello, investors. Do I have to start podcasts that way since I start all videos that way? Hello, we'll investors. leave that up to you. But I'm pinch hitting for uh, for Danny Stewart today. He's off. He's a ski bunny. He's going down the trails, hopefully keeping all his ligaments intact. Yeah. So, Zach, skeleton hey. crew today. True. We got me. We got you. We got Connor. We got Mike. And today's podcast is going to be focused on two things. The first one is going to be banks, since that's the big news, obviously, of the week. And the second is going to be on charts. And uh, Stan Weinstein, legendary investor, says the tape tells all. And that is one of the mottos that we go by here at Revere. Any decisions that we make, anything that's going on in the economy, it's going to show up on the tape and it's going to be about confidence. It's going to be about emotions on parade. The key emotions we talk about all the time in the market are fear and greed. Do you sell too soon because you're, you have fear that you're going to lose uh, more than uh, lose your gains or lose your investment or greed? Are you adding to a down position because you think all it has to do is get back uh, to even and you'll greedily get out of it for break even? Or are you already up a massive amount and you're going to be more greedy? They say uh, bears make money and bulls make money on Wall Street, but pigs get slaughtered. So fear and greed and confidence. We don't talk a lot about confidence, but that's what... uh, that's really what's been driving the market over the last week and a half since uh, last Thursday when the banks started breaking down. Uh, Silvergate Bank said they're shutting down. SIVB was seized by the government. Then Signature Bank was seized by the government. The, the, the bank that is on parade right now uh, is FRC. This is, I guess, the bank and we're not even talking about European banks, we're talking about American banks. This bank is, uh, let's just say it's the worst of what's remaining right now. Yesterday we had 11 banks, led by the big banks, put $30 billion in deposits into First Republic Bank. Uh, First Republic Bank's market cap is only $4.7 billion. Market cap is 
number of shares outstanding by the share price. This, this stock has fallen from 150 to 26 over the last six weeks, including a drop from 120 to 26 over the last week and a half. Confidence, that's, uh, when you put, when you have 11 big banks put $30 billion into a bank and it drops by 24% the next day, how, what does that say about confidence? Zach, you're our man on the street, the, our man on Main Street. So from your perspective, tell us what, what you're hearing and what your thoughts are over the last week and a half in the markets and the banking system. So can, you think you can speak for uh, the average man on the street and tell us what you think about that? Yeah. So one of the funny things about doing this show for me, uh, I am not plugged in to finance like you guys are. I, I don't keep up with the markets. I am, I am very much like <laughs> explain, explain like I'm five kind of financial stuff. So this is a great resource. And sometimes you guys will talk about something on the show and I'll think, oh, that sounds kind of cool. And last week he talked about S SVB and, and Danny said, put it on the thumbnail. People are going to know what that is. I said, okay, Danny. And I tell you what, I left here. And two hours later on Twitter, I started seeing Silicon Valley Bank. And I started seeing people talking about this. And I was like, huh, all right, those, those Revere Asset guys might know what they're talking about. Uh, something is up. That's, that's what I could tell you. Like, as, as a man on the street, I've seen people suggest I pull money out of my bank. I see other people say uh -huh. that's a terrible idea. I, I saw people posting memes from It's a Wonderful Life with George Bailey and the bank run, right? At the yep. Bailey Building and Loan. Uh, I don't know what exactly is going on, but I know... That I'm glad I'm listening to the show and that I'm a part of this so I can find out from you guys. And and that's I think a perfect summary of of what the government is uh, is has to look at things. When it when it trickles down to where it's not just executives at big corporations that are talking about something, when it's the man on the street that is having discussions with other people about pulling money out of their bank, that's the confidence game that uh, that they have to play and they they really have to keep intact. Uh, several statements have come out this week but with, between big banks, the Fed, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, all with the aim of instilling confidence in Main Street to avoid bank runs. Uh, as you know, we have a fractional banking system. That means if you've got $200,000 in the bank, they don't have a little drawer with your $200,000 in it. They take your money and they invest it and loan it out and attempt to make a profit. So uh, after the great financial crisis, banks have had to raise their capital levels, uh, which is what they're, they're basically their liquid assets, what they have to keep on hand to address deposits versus what they're allowed to invest and where they're allowed to invest it. So there were a lot of regulations that were put in after the great financial crisis in 2007 to 2009. And then they put these stress tests in, right? So they, were, they, they wanted these banks and they would simulate what would happen under various financial conditions. And usually those conditions were well, what if we cut interest rates to this or to this or to zero again? What impact would that have on your, uh, on your uh, capital structure? Not once did they, did they start to model, well, what happens if we're raising interest rates very quickly because we had to quell inflation that we created after COVID? So they weren't even stress testing the banks for this situation. They were stressing it for simulating what if 2007, 2008 happened again and we had to cut rates 
basically to nothing in order to spur investing nowhere near and, and that's why uh that's why SIVB failed because they grew at an astronomical rate during COVID uh, there and leading into COVID. There were a lot of investors in Silicon Valley. They were primarily a Silicon Valley bank and they poured all their working capital. They had to put it at a bank. Silicon Valley bank was very favorable to venture capitalists at uh, out in their area and really across the country. So they poured their money in. Then uh, when the Fed started raising interest rates and uh, venture capital dried up in the face of a recession, when we started, they started raising rates, they had to start pulling their money out. Well, Silicon Valley Bank had to take all that money that was put in and invest it somewhere so that they could pay, uh, pay money to their depositors, pay some sort of reasonable interest. The best way to do that was to buy the highest yielding bonds at the time which were 30-year mortgage bonds, 30-year treasury bonds. So they bought all these 30 years uh, at like 1%, and then all of a sudden interest rates, rates started going through the roof. So now they're forced to pay depositors three, four, uh, almost 5%, but they've only got their money invested and tied up at 1%. So the, values of the, the value of those bonds plummets they don't want to have to sell them. If they can hold them for 30 years and they have the liquidity, they're fine. But everybody started pulling their money out of the banks and people were talking about this. In fact, the FDIC had a meeting back in November and they were talking about a lot of the losses that were on these banks books because they knew that they had these long-term treasuries, long-term mortgage bonds at 1%, 1.5% on their books and their value was down quite a bit because of how quickly interest rates were rising. But as long as nobody uh, started pulling their deposits out, uh, everything was okay. But uh, SIVB, uh, it's capital intensive being a venture capital, if no capitalist, if nobody is investing money in these venture, these ventures, they've got to pull their money out of the bank in order to continue funding their activities, their payroll. Uh, and that just started to shrink their deposit structure and they had nowhere to get the money. They had to sell these long-term bonds, take a massive uh, multi-billion dollar loss and then try to uh, recoup that by selling more shares in their bank and they just got laughed at by the banking system. And that's why they went insolvent. Uh, Signature Bank was a crypto bank that was seized over the weekend uh, by the government. Uh, no other bank has been seized. But then uh, we woke up early this week to Credit Suisse, which people have been talking about Credit Suisse. This is a, um, a European bank and uh, it's trading at $2.02, Zach. It traded back in 2007 at uh, $72. It traded as recently as, Ooh. let's see what, what it's done year to date. The bottom line is Credit Suisse has been targeted for a long time as uh, being a garbage bank. It's not even down that much year to date. When I, when I say that much, I'm 33%. It was trading at three bucks at the end of uh, the year, and now it's around two bucks. But uh, the Swiss government, or was it Sweden? I don't know. One of those S countries over there said we're going to bank it. We're going to back it. Christine Lagarde uh, said we're going to back Credit Suisse as much as we need to. So that uh, that stemmed the bank run yesterday. So the market rallied strongly in the U.S. We had uh, Janet Yellen coming out and saying that she was going to. Uh, 
support her and these other big bank CEOs, because really what's happening is the bigger the bank now, the safer the bank. And if anybody's banking at a regional bank or a community bank, they're pulling their money and they're sending it into one of these safer banks. Uh, so that's certainly not good for mom and pop uh, banks or even larger regional banks. And that's why we're having the crisis that we're having. So that's why these big banks were kind of asked or told to try to put some of their money into these other banks so that, uh, that it could shore them up and not everybody's going to, because you can't have four, five, six, seven big banks and no other banks across the country. Right. Uh, that's not good for uh, for capitalism, for business, for anybody. If, if they're saying no to you, you've got nowhere else to go. But uh, I think the bottom line is, is you know, confidence. Are, get, can we get Main Street to be confident enough that they don't have to worry about that? You don't have conversations with uh, other men and women on the street that are saying you need to pull your money out of the bank. We've got numerous emails. I've got a bunch of texts. In fact, we're going to touch on exactly how uh, Charles Schwab, which is we have two uh, primary broker dealers where we custody assets, TD Ameritrade and Charles Schwab. Well, a couple of years ago, they had a big battle and went from charging like three, four, five dollars a trade to free trades. And that essentially put TD out of business because that was the backbone of their uh, business model. They, they made money by charging people commission to trade stocks. But in order for them to maintain their clients, they had to match what Charles Schwab and Fidelity and some of these other uh, internet brokers were doing when they started cutting to zero. You either cut to zero or you go out of business. And as a result, TD cut to zero, saw they couldn't make money. Charles Schwab approached them about merging. Uh, they've got, they basically have merged. They haven't merged their backend systems, which is why we still have two broker dealers on the backend. Half of our clients are at TD Ameritrade, half are at Charles Schwab, but for all intents and purposes, it's, it's run by Charles Schwab. And what we saw last week was a lack of confidence in Charles Schwab from a stock price perspective. Mm. So here's, uh, here is the, um, here's a chart of Charles Schwab. Okay. Uh, Charles Schwab was one of the leading, uh, financials, uh, March, 2022, their high was around 92. They formed a big cup and handle. This is a productive base. And, um, they were trading at around 86 bucks a share as early as January. And then look at how they plunged starting on 3.9, 3.9 down 13%. 310 down 15%, uh, 3.14, they bounced. And then they started selling off again the last couple of days. So the, the CEO of Charles Schwab went on TV uh, with CNBC. He taught, they, they tried to lay out in detail how they've got no liquidity problems whatsoever. Yeah, they have some longer term bonds on their books, but it's nothing to be concerned about from a liquidity standpoint. And the CEO of Schwab said, in fact, I bought 50,000 shares on the open market. Uh, this was Tuesday, I think, maybe it was Wednesday, uh, on the open market and uh, the stock shot back up uh, to 60 bucks a share. But now the last two days, uh, even with that booster of confidence, it was down 3% yesterday, it's down another 6% today. So the market's not convinced uh, that Charles Schwab 
it, we should have seen it bounce right back quite a bit more, but we really haven't seen this bounce back in any of these banks that people are concerned about. So we're getting a lot of letters because we custody at Charles Schwab and um, we had a lot of back and forth. And I'll, I'm going to focus on this email that one of our listeners said uh, and talk about his question. So he said, can you please detail what risk, what assets are at risk if Schwab or Fidelity went belly up? Are they just a custodian and all the stocks slash mutual funds still belong to the individual if there's a bankruptcy? What is the F FDIC and SIPC insurance cover? Do we need multiple brokerage accounts uh, over if we top the $50,000 SPIC limit? Uh, or... Um, or how do we, what is the primary concern about their liquidity? So Dan has been in conversations all week with TD and Schwab, and basically we're gonna summarize it as such. Uh, I said SPIC, it's SIPC. Um, so SIPC insurance, we, we all hear about FDIC insurance at individual banks. SIPC is on the broker dealer side. And that insurance is a half a million dollars per account. Uh, half a million in securities if it's fully invested or $250,000 if it's all in cash. If it's a, and then additionally, Schwab has, and this is the key, Schwab has additional private insurance for SIPC with Lloyds of London for $150 million per account. So now your confidence really shifts to does Lloyds of London have the liquidity to be able to pay off uh, if anything went belly up. Um, so Dan says, if you're concerned, a good strategy would have at least two different broker dealers. FDIC insurance, we've already covered 250K per individual. For a joint account, it's 500 because it's basically per person uh, on the account. Now Schwab, here's how they protect uh, their clients. They have a sweep feature for idle cash. So at the end of the day, suppose you had uh, a $700,000 account and you had $500,000 in securities and $250,000 in cash. They have a swap feature that goes to their Schwab bank. So the FDIC covers that. So you've got SIPC on the security side, FDIC on uh, the bank side. And they have uh, the first $250,000 in cash go to Schwab bank. And if you have over two fifty, dollars they send it to a second bank. So in other words, they're covering it twice uh, because you would have each bank, you would have 250K at each bank. So that's an additional way that they've got their clients protected. Um, and Dan says, lastly, the Fed has implied that they would bail out account holders 100% of their cash because that's what they did for Signature Bank and SIVB. Now, what do you think the man on the street would say if uh, their bank went belly up and all of a sudden, well, first of all, I don't know the average man on the street has over $250,000 stored in a bank, uh, but what would, what would they say if, um, if they, they decided, you know, that implied bailout, what would they say if they said, yeah, we did it for these banks, but we can't do it for your banks. That's when we've got uh, a serious problem between the man on the street and the government. And I imagine that uh, that would lead to some rioting, but that doesn't really solve the question of what happens uh, to your $250,000. What we've been doing for our individual account holders is by we've got 40% of all accounts in gov tr government T-bills. We use it by either buying T-bills directly or uh, with uh, money markets that are invested 
uh, money market ETFs that are either invested directly in treasury bills or money market mutual funds that are invested directly only in T-bills. And it's only short-term T-bills uh, because those are the ones that have been paying the, the largest amount of cash and it gives us the most flexibility uh, because they're constantly rolling over the T-bills. Um, that is uh, a pretty good summary. I know if Dan was here right now, he'd be saying, let me put on my Don Terpreter. Uh, what was your takeaway as the man on Main Street, Zach, from what I just covered? Well, I think you're was absolutely it, Was right. I clear enough? No, yeah, because you, you mentioned this, this is how the man on the street would feel. If, if, if the big banks all got a break and you and your little bank don't and your money just is up in the wind like that's not right and that's not fair and that feels like a little bit of favoritism on the side of people that are bigger than me and i don't like that and yeah i see why you get to trouble in the streets you get people angry you get people on social media saying this isn't right we should do something that's not good for anybody that uh that's 100 percent accurate now if the government decided that they would be bailing everybody out uh, then we would have an additional problem. And that problem would be that as if the dollar wasn't weak enough now, uh, how, how, if we are handing money out uh, to every person that had a, a nickel in the bank or half a million dollars in the bank, at some point they would have to draw the line between paying uh, ultra wealthy people or versus paying the man on the street. And I think we know that the man on the street would uh, end up winning that. <laughs> Yes, Stella agrees. Stella and I'm knows. glad for that. <laughs> Stella's like, Absolutely. get my dog food money out of the bank now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's going to sum up our conversation on the banks, how we uh, are keeping money in short term T bills at Revere, as well as uh, how uh, Schwab handles uh, protecting the account holders. Uh, and what the government and or governments across the world are doing uh, to protect shareholders and also uh, institutions that might be at risk. So let's move on to charts. And what I'm going to do is bring up the S&P 500, as uh, we always do. And yesterday, we had a big rally, and it was based on uh, an injection of confidence uh, by the Eurozone and by the Fed. Let's go to a 60-minute chart here so you can see. Uh, here's the rally yesterday, and we got back above a key level that I showed last night, and that key level is 39.40. 39.40 is the 200-day moving average on the S&P 500. We know uh, because I... Uh, talk about it until I'm uh, blue in the face that all bear markets occur beneath the 200-day moving average. So it's very critical that we stay at that level or very close to that level or preferably above that level. So yesterday, with the confidence injected that caused the rally, uh, we got back above that level. But today, after the injection of capital, uh, we're having a little bit of a confidence uh, shortage here, Zach, because we're back below that 3940 level. That's that black uh, line in the sand. Mm. So uh, we've taken some defensive action already this morning with our portfolios to uh, hedge some of the exposure that we took yesterday. 
Uh, we're focused right now on the NASDAQ 100. This is a much better looking chart than the S&P 500, and it's got a massive relative strength line because money has been flowing into these big tech stocks because they're perceived as having very solid balance sheets. They're perceived as not having uh, a lot of exposure to any of these regional banks because they primarily bank with the larger institutions. Uh, and it's an easy spot to, to park money uh, for uh, portfolio managers with the safety that uh, these companies are going to be there, they're going to continue to deliver the products and uh, the American uh, American businesses as well as the man on the street is going to continue to buy their products. Now, if this chart starts to break down and it's very healthy as of right now, uh, but then we're going to have additional problems because the safety net that we've had lately, these big uh, FANG type stocks, I'm talking about Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, NVIDIA, uh, Meta, these stocks have been holding up very well, and that's where money has been flowing into. If money starts flowing out of those, uh, then we've got another issue and we'll be taking additional defensive action to uh, either lock in the gains that we have on these or um, go on the other side and start shorting the S&P 500 via ETFs uh, to take advantage of the market going down. So, uh, this black line, again, uh, continues to be our focus. We held it until two weeks ago. We broke it, tried to get back above it, failed, finally got back above it yesterday, but now we're failing back below it today, and that level is 39.40 on the S&P. As of 11.30 Eastern time, we're trading at 39.15. We've been as low as 39.05. Uh, so that's the key level that we're going to be focused on for the rest of the day going into the end of the day and into next week, uh, as well as um, preparing our risk plan uh, for over the weekend into next week, because a lot can happen over a weekend, uh, as we well know. So up until a week and a half ago, everybody was talking about recession, inflation, CPI, uh, Russia. But since then, all the talk has been about banking system and confidence or lack thereof in that system. So our job as uh, asset managers is to take advantage of, um, well, not take advantage, but as is to address the situation um, and uh, protect our client assets. That's always, and the good thing is that that's not new to us at Revere. This is what we do all day, every day, every week of every month of every year is focus on the downside protection because uh, most of our clients are headed into retirement within a few years. And uh, the last thing we want is for them to fall victim to significant losses. So uh, we always manage to protect the downside because the upside will take care of itself when the market gets back to healthy. And uh, wouldn't we all like to see a market back to healthy after the last uh, 15 months that we've been dealing with uh, in the market? The good news is that every day that we survive uh, gets us one step closer to that uh, healthy market, uh, provided we're able to handle the hurdles that are thrown at us along the way. So Zach, any questions as the man on the street going forward before we go into our individual segments today? No, I don't think so. If anything, I, I want to reiterate like how fortunate I feel like I am that I uh, found the show and work with you guys and I'm able to kind of have somebody who can help navigate this. Like while I'm 
busy at home, like raising a family, right? My wife and I just moved. Like we're trying to plant roots, find a good school district to move to move towards. Like uh, I don't have time to focus on this stuff. And I know I've heard you guys say before that, you know, the market's always a knife fight. And it's fortunate that like I know people in my life who are this plugged in, who are constantly on it and keep track of it, track of it. So uh, thanks to you guys. Well, we're, and thanks for paying attention. We're, we're happy to be here. And it's uh, it's it's we're we're in the rare uh, handful of advisors that take this approach, this tactical approach to the markets. Uh, you know, we've got an overall strategy that overall strategy is called Growtection. That's our flagship portfolio. It's named to grow assets during market uptrends and protection uh, to protect assets during downtrends. And uh, we were in a severe downtrend throughout 2022. We rallied off the lows at the beginning of the year. Uh, we've gone into a downtrend over the last five weeks, primarily for two reasons. One, because ironically, the, the employment report was too strong, and that meant that the Fed might have to raise rates longer than they intended, and jo Jerome Powell pretty much confirmed uh, as much. And then recently, uh, seven trading sessions ago on Thursday of last week, uh, we got thrown. We got the banking crisis thrown into it, and that's uh, thrown the the odds of a rate hike. And it's really everything else has taken a backseat to that because um, before we were dealing with just greed and fear. Now we're we're dealing with greed, fear, and confidence uh, as an additional emotion, and uh, how that plays on Main Street and Wall Street, and how uh, how your advisor reacts to it is. Uh, is uh, of the utmost importance and that's why we protect the downside um, as our primary focus so let's start uh let's start off with mike and uh his uh segment for this week mike tell us uh what you're going to talk about this week okay um can everybody hear me yeah yes sir yep perfect okay so uh i'm going to talk about the uh the home builders this week uh revisit a um a sector I've spoken about before, but um, just before I go into that, I wanted to mention a um, an interesting dynamic um, that that people should look out for. That um, that, that yeah, j just to get some more clarity on the market. Um, so basically, for from the start of this bear market, uh, bonds and stocks have been um, positively correlated, meaning that when the price of bonds has been been dropping with yields rising, stocks have also been falling. But since February, and what's interesting about this is the market um, has been hoping for a, uh, a Fed pivot for rates to come down. And um, that's sort of all the rallies we've gotten so far in this bear market were um, fueled by this, this um, opinion that CPI was coming down, inflation was coming down, and the Fed would be able to pivot. But if you look at um, starting in February of this year, uh, mid to late February, if you look at that relationship, it's actually inverse now and um, yields have been coming down significantly and the market's actually been dropping on that. And it's, um, as Don said, that that is a clear um, indication of a lack of confidence now in the system and yields aren't necessarily dropping because, I mean, one way to handle inflation is um, to raise rates and you can get a soft landing, but another way um, that we've been trying to avoid is that hard landing recession scenario and um and yeah it is interesting to see now with rates coming down that the market um 
is is struggling. So um, that that's something to to look out for because as money and that's also what's what's been causing this um, this banking crisis because as money flows into um, safe haven assets, um, particularly treasuries, there there's less money in the in the system and, and less um, liquidity because people are just parking their money in, in whatever's safest. So um, that that that's something I thought was was interesting. Um, and yeah, now return of the, your uh, money versus versus return on your money. Return of your money versus return on your money. It's and that's why yields are going lower. It's not because of anything the Fed's doing. It's because of everybody piling money into them. The price goes up. That means the yield goes down. Simple supply and demand uh, brought on by greed, fear, and confidence, or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, so going to the home builders, the first one I want to talk about is um, NVR. And if you look at these charts, I mean, that, that's also something basically 99% of people you ask in the market, they would be very bearish on home builders. Um, doesn't really make sense to a lot of people, but it doesn't matter because price is, price is truth. And if you look at um, these charts, NVR was attempting a, um, a breakout today um, of, of this uh, longer cup and handle. Um, it, I mean, obviously it's going to struggle if the market's down over almost a percent and a half um be very rare to to see a, a breakout in that environment but if you see the relative strength it's pointing to two o'clock it's just up and to the right um it's the home builders continue to um to remain very strong um the second one is len lennar they announced earnings uh earlier this week um very strong report um they they um they raised guidance, um, EPS, uh, and revenue, um, and also an another chart with the relative strength line just uh, up and to the right. And then um, lastly, DHI, um, another just extremely strong stock. So um, if I, I won't go into it now because um, we're trying to keep this segment short, but um, if anyone is interested, I mean, I, I have done some analysis and I personally um, disagree with a lot of the fundamental uh, perspectives that home builders, it doesn't make sense that they're strong and, and they should be weak. Um, housing in general may soften, but home builders specifically, um, I, I definitely see a bull case there. Um, I've been talking about it for a little while, and I'd be happy to share that, um, that research with, with any of our listeners. So just send me an email and... Um, and I'd be happy to um, to to send you a report or, or talk to you about um, my thoughts and and why I see strength in this sector. Sounds good, Mike. You were one of the few that were talking about this. Uh, I know, and uh, ITB and XHB are the two uh, ETFs. I know you've taken a close look at. Uh, very yeah. quickly, the difference between the two of them is, I believe, one has uh, Lowe's and Home Depot exposure a lot more than the other one. Is that correct? Yeah, that's XHB. It's got BLDR, um, so some of the, um, yeah, the, the, the products and the, um, the, the retail stores. That's XHB and ITB, uh, more pure, but more of a pure play on uh, home builders. So, so yeah, that chart's looking, yeah, looking much better. All right, Mike, thanks a lot. Let's uh, pivot over to Connor. Connor, you've got uh, some breadth updates for us today, right? Yeah, going to go over just a couple of the various breadth charts that I've been tracking throughout this uh, throughout this market swing. So 
Don, if you could just pull up any of the ones that I sent you. So this is uh, the McClellan yeah, so summation. The, correct, yeah. So this one's the NASI and McClellan summation index. And what you can see from this breath chart is that uh, in October of last year, it showed the hook back up. Um, it hooked back up and the parabolic SAR, which is the dotted line, also hooked back up, which is the technical buy signal for this breath chart. And same thing occurred at the beginning of this year. And then as you can see, it topped out pretty much within a couple of days of when the market topped around 4,200. So I'm watching this one because when you look at the RSI, we're near October lows for the RSI on the bottom of this breath chart. So there is a little bit of divergence there, um, but still no hook back up on the NASI. So technically speaking, to get more bullish and more long exposure, you'd wanna see this breath chart hook back up and we still have not seen that, but you can say the RSI is trying to bottom out here. Um, and when you look at the price of the indexes, a lot of these breath charts are near October low levels. Um, while price for the indexes haven't reached uh, October lows. So that's a positive price divergence that we're seeing. Yeah, we saw this uh, trying, the, the RSI trying to flatten yesterday with the big update in the market, but uh, I imagine that's going to be undone today by the action that we're seeing so far, unless we rally into the close. So let's see, yeah. next up, uh, chart we're going to look at the fear and greed index yeah so um you know like don's message of the show confidence that's there's not a lot of it in the market right now when you look at the fear and greed we're at october lows um or just about we yesterday we had a reading extreme fear around 17 and it bounced a little bit yesterday with the market um rallying but you know, the, the good old saying, um, sell when people are greedy, buy when people are uh, fearful. Um, it's tough to say, but, you know, the market topped when there was extreme greed in the market. And now there was extreme fear this week with the whole banking stuff going on. Um, obviously, we don't know the full story. That could be a lot worse than we think. But if you, if you think it get resolved, if, if it gets resolved, then... Uh, the sentiment wise, it's pretty fearful out there right now. So you could try a couple longs, in my opinion, in the leading stocks if, if they're setting up. And there are some leaders. Uh, we've been talking about them uh, all week on the videos, and it's primarily in uh, the tech sector and really being led by the FANG stocks and by, um, uh, by semiconductors. Also some cybersecurity right. stocks holding up pretty well. Right. So here's the NIMO. Yep, here's the NIMO. Again, just super oversold breath conditions. And when you know, when you see all these breath conditions very oversold, the fear and greed showing extreme fear. Um, you know, it, it's likely that you get a bounce. Nothing's ever certain in the market, but it's a possibility that you get a bounce. Um, and then if you do get that bounce, you need it to continue and you need more strength. Like we got a bounce yesterday and now we're faltering again today. So it could just be a, a reset mean reversion. Um, 
But if we can start getting some positive readings and breath again, then I think that could be a sign that uh, the tides are turning. But until then, with breath looking like this, it's signaling um, rallies just continue to get sold. So one of the and things yeah, we were talking about, on, yeah, here's, uh, let's Sorry, just pivot ahead. to this hot new high, new low. Go ahead. Yeah, again, same, same situation. We're getting, we're getting extreme readings and in, in new lows. Uh, we hit negative 600 this week and that didn't quite reach October low levels, but um, somewhat close. I mean, that was the most uh, new lows we've seen all year. Um, so, you know, an overshoot in new lows sometimes can, can mark a short-term bottom. Um, but again, it, we just need to see uh, a positive shift in breath. I mean, we're in negative territory and that's, uh, you can see that just on the indexes charts besides the NASDAQ, which is primarily being held up by these big liquid leaders. So just can, I continue to monitor the monitor these every day to see if they can hook back up, snap back up and see if the, uh, the underlying strength in the market can improve. Underlying strength, that's important. Now, one of the things that we were talking about on our morning call this morning when we were talking about breadth numbers is uh, you don't see this very often, but this is just a raw new high, new low. In other words, it's it's just totally looking at the entire universe of stocks out there, seeing if it's making a new high, seeing if it's making a new low. Well, you can take two entire groups of stocks, which, uh, and I'm talking about in this case, energies, which have which have been lagging to an extreme and also over the last week and a half financials. Those things are going to be light years away from making a new high. So you, you, if you were looking at new high, new lows by sector, they would be very divergent from what you would be looking at from, from an overall uh, new high, new low perspective. So in other words, if you were looking at tech stocks only or you're looking at semiconductors, uh, versus financials and energy, the new new high, new low is gonna be extremely skewed on those. And that's why we focus on what's working as opposed to what's not. Uh, that's where normally when we take uh, index positions, we take them in the S&P 500, uh, but they've been radically tilted towards semiconductors and uh, the NASDAQ 100 instead of the S&P 500 lately, because just quite simply, that's that's what's working. Now, if we get some confidence back into the financial sector, uh, those things are so stretched to the downside that that rubber band uh, can snap back very quickly. So that's always something that we're on the lookout for. Anything else to add, Connor? No, that was it. All right. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, Mike. And uh, I think with that, we're pretty much going to wrap things up, Zach. So uh, the key thing to look for uh, again, and I'll update all of this on Friday night's uh, video where we'll update the 21 over 21. And, you know, last week's 21 over 21 list, only two stocks have fallen off of it. So leaders themselves are holding up fine. Uh, and this isn't a 21 semiconductor stocks in the 21 over 21 list. It's 11 sectors, 17 different industry groups. We've had things that uh, have very clearly come off, but from a leading stock perspective, uh, the action is much better than what's going on in the indexes. And again, that's because of the rapid deterioration of what's going on in the financial sector. For example, this is the XLF, 
uh, awful uh, right here action from uh, based on what you're seeing. Uh, and this is banks and insurance companies, uh, a couple other financials too. So let's go back to the S&P 500 and um, we're trading at around 39.12 right now. Uh, down 1.21% on the day. The key level that we're looking at is whether or not we can regain that 39.40 uh, this afternoon into the close, and we'll be making some decisions based on the sector and the index action relative to that. So, uh, Zach, our man on Main Street, any parting words or questions before we wrap things up? Uh, where can people find us if they are like me and don't know what they're doing and need help? Well, that's a great question, Zach. Folks, if you like what you've heard, tell your friends, tell your family. You can go to revereasset.com or you can uh, check us out on YouTube. Just Google, uh, just search for Revere Asset. Uh, or you can call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. And with that, we're gonna wrap it up. See you next week on Your Money. Because it's not how much you make in the market, it's how much of that you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.